now that I've eaten, I can feed you. Um, but it's very important for a preacher to receive first. So I have something to pass on to you. Um, I actually want to start by... Um, how long have we got? Okay, we're doing all right. Um, I feel a long way away today. Oh. Um, I want to start by talking a little bit, because um, she loves it when I talk about her um, in preachers, uh, is just share a little bit from my relationship uh, with Melissa. Um, and... Um, in particular, one of the things that has really changed for me being married is that before I was married, I had a very um, interesting relationship with clothing. And um, my relationship with clothing would basically go something like this. I had, you know, if I got a T-shirt, let's say I was eight years old and I got a T-shirt, um, still it still fits. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my basic principle is I'm, I'm not going to take it off unless it falls off. Like... Um, so, like, I can, I can keep wearing clothes. I mean, I wash them, like, I'm hygienic, but I hold on to clothes for a long time. So, um, a lot of the boxer shorts still in my life today, um, or, you know, there would be a lot more than this, but uh, some of them are going a little bit threadbare because I got them when I was 13, and they're just kind of just about hanging on in there and staying up. Um, and so, if it's good enough for that, it's good enough for me. Um, but one of, the, one of Melissa's kind of projects um, in, in my life um, besides just, you know, loving me and taking me as I am, um, is changing me. And, um, and um, particularly with regard to my, my clothing choices, so Melissa, you know, makes lovely hints. <laughs> like, sweetheart, is it maybe time to say goodbye to that T-shirt or that pair of boxer shorts or something like that. And she's very nice about it, and she'll normally help me along by buying new ones. But I, I have this uncanny ability to keep hold of very old items of clothing. Now, one such item um, is this pair of sandals. Now, I can't remember when I got this pair of sandals, but I remember at the time just thinking, man, they are the epitome of style and practicality. And I genuinely loved these sandals um, and bought them and, you know, they're, they're, they're not perfect. They have um, this bit um, here actually kind of makes, my, makes the size of my feet roar and bleed. Um, and besides that, they have this supernatural ability, um, which is just incredible. After only five minutes of wearing, they, make, they transform the aura of a room into something akin to the pit of burning sulfur in the, from the book of Revelation. Like, they, they are unbelievably stinky sandals. It's, I don't know, like, I don't have particularly smelly feet, and I take pride in my own personal hygiene, somewhat. Um, but these are absolutely incredible. Like, within five, ten minutes, my perfectly innocuous feet um, need to be, like, you know, sanitized and put through, like, a steam room or something. No, not steam room. I don't know. Um, like you jump into the sea to wash them and the fish die sort of thing. Like it's incredible. Um, anyway, however many times Melissa said, Sam, these sandals aren't great for you. They hurt. They're not great for me. So I have to leave the house and not come near you for a week. Why don't you just get rid of them? But every time I'm like, oh, but they kind of work. Like, and so I just kind of, when she's not looking, I put them back in the shoe cupboard and leave them for another rainy day. Or a sunny day, actually. It's nearly time to wear them again, isn't it, really? No, no, hang on. They're very important for my talk and for the rest of my life. Um, the illustration depends on me then keeping them for longer. Um, 
We'll come back to the sandals in just a minute, um, and you'll see why that was an incredibly spiritual point and a great way of starting a preach. Um, For those of you who haven't been with us, we're working our way through the book of Colossians, um, which is just an incredible, incredible little short book in the New Testament. It's four chapters long, which in the Bible means about four pages, um, and... um, but it's, it's incredibly dense, so we're spending 11 weeks going through it. Today we are moving on to chapter 3, which is the third of four. Um, and just before we dive in and go through it together, um, I know this kind of is a little bit obvious, but before Colossians 3 comes Colossians 1 and 2. Whoa. Awed silence in the room. Um, Now that's really, really, really important whenever we come to the Bible because we need to not read the Bible, uh, read chunks of the Bible in isolation. You're not supposed to just open it and pick a verse. And, you know, that works, God speaks. But the best way to read the Bible is to read it in context, is to think, what's the flow of this book that we're looking at? What is Paul trying to do in this letter to the church in Colossae? What's his overarching theme? And that way, when we read the text today, it will help us to kind of see it in the light of what he's trying to do as a bigger picture. Does that make sense? So just by way of recap, what Paul has talked about in Colossians 1 and 2, really, really, really simply, and if you want more than this, I'd recommend that you listen to our talks um, from the website. You can get our podcast um, Like millions of people around the world listen to it, so you'll be joining um, them, um, and that's good. Uh, So I'd recommend that for a bit of deeper study. Um, But basically the point is this, Jesus. That's that's Paul's heart in Colossians 1 and 2, is I want to get across to you, Jesus. What's the sum total of life? Jesus. How can you be saved? Jesus. How do you achieve the fullness of what it means to live a salvation life? Jesus. Where does your salvation come from in the first place? Jesus. Where's it going to end up? Jesus. What's the next level of faith? Like if the normal level is kind of here, what's the super duper level? Jesus. And he's saying, there's, there's, uh, Nigel used the phrase last week, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's the whole heart of Colossians one And two, is Paul is saying, guys, I know that there are going to be some people who come among you and they're like, you ordinary Christians. (sighs) Let me show you what being a real Christian looks like. And they talk in a deep voice and they sound very clever. And they talk about how, you know, to to achieve the heights of spirituality, you need to um, fast for 57 days straight. And you need to learn Hebrew backwards. And you need to um, be circumcised. And you need to, um, like loads of other stuff, you need to obey dietary laws and come to special feasts and do all sorts of stuff. And Paul is like, guys, 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 let me reiterate. Jesus. Like, Like, there's no higher step than knowing Jesus and walking in step with Jesus. That's not a low level of spirituality, and there's a higher one. The whole thing is found in Jesus. He is it. And if you don't get that, you won't get anything else. What we're going to look at today is chapter 3, the first part of chapter 3, which has in it some kind of ethical guidelines for living as a Christian. But listen, as we go into that, it's vitally important that our starting point is, I know who I am in Jesus. Because otherwise, what it will sound like is a list of rules of things you have to do to really be a Christian. 
That's not what we're coming to today. What we're coming to is as a believer, as a Christian, as someone who is, regardless of everything, loved by God, who is, regardless of everything, tied up in the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we come from today. Does that make sense? So, um, typical in Paul's writings is that for the first part of the letter, he just bigs up the work of God in Jesus and all that God has done in history and um, how he saved us and redeemed us. In Romans, that takes 11 chapters. Here, it only takes two because um, he's learned to be concise by this point. Um, and, and then, generally, what happens is, is Paul moves on to like, okay, so that's all the theory. What does that look like as it's lived out among you in practice? How does that look in your day-to-day life? What does it mean to to look like a follower of Jesus in your day-to-day life? So that's where we come to today. And so he begins in chapter 3 by saying this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now this is only about a third of the passage for today, but just to say, you could camp here for hours. Do you see where it starts? What's the first word? Since you've been raised with Christ. Paul begins with our identity as people who are tied up in Christ. You see that? It doesn't say, if you want your identity to be in Christ, if you want to be raised with Christ, then live like this. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, live like this. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? This isn't saying, earn resurrection with Christ. It's saying your identity, because you've received Jesus, is you got Killed with Christ and raised with Christ. You're tied up in Christ. Everything you are is in Christ. In fact, look how much he brings this up here. Let me just get a pen. Um, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. That's an identity issue. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. That's an identity thing. It's already happened. Paul considers it done, finished. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Same thing. It's done. It's not up for grabs. That's where your life is. When Christ, who is your life. That's amazing. That's a massive identity thing here. Christ is our life. If you're someone who's put your trust in Jesus, he is your life. And you will also appear with him. Oh dear. In glory. Isn't that amazing? There's so much there that just says this is not up for grabs. This is who you are. Jesus has done it, and that means you're okay. And so the first call is really just think about that. Set your mind on that. Let yourself kind of meditate on that. Since, oh gosh, it's really, really fuzzy for you guys. I've got it beautifully clear here. I don't think it's anything you can do about that, Chris. Sorry. Um, Can you read it still? Excellent. I can zoom in a little. Oh, it moved. That was useless. Um, do you see that, that comes from there? I, can't, I don't think I can bash that drum too much. That's So much of the book of Colossians is that. 
is we aren't earning this. We aren't making ourselves worth it. We are receiving our whole identity from our Heavenly Father. That's so, so, so key. So the first thing is just think on that. Since you've been raised with Christ, you see the first couple of commands, set your hearts on things above. Seek things above. Set your minds on things above. And just think about that. Now, what does it mean to think about where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That, that phrase doesn't just refer to Jesus' postal address. Like It's not so that you know where he is. Like If you look up far enough, um, you know, kind of third star to the right and on till morning or whatever that is from um, thingy. It's not, his, it's not just like so you know where he is geographically. It's saying seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has been exalted by God as over the whole universe, and that God is giving him the rule and reign of the whole universe. It means that the whole of the universe is going to be brought together in Christ and raised to life in him and redeemed in him. Think about that. And then it says, think about what it means that that you died and your life is now hidden with him. So it's not just that Jesus is up there removed and, and, and running everything. But actually, like it says in Ephesians, you've been raised with Christ in heavenly places, seated with him in heavenly places. And so the implication here is not only is Christ over everything, but we are wrapped up in him, in there in some kind of crazy, hidden, spiritual, cool sense that actually God wants to... like. God loves us to be with him. God's presence is, is wrapped us up, and we are involved in it. And that is incredible, seated where, where, where Jesus is. Not only that, <laughs> but think about how your life is now hidden with Christ. Like it's not revealed yet. Do you ever look at your life with Jesus and you think, really? Do you ever think that? I didn't really explain myself, so it would be hard for you to. Um, but just like that kind of, man, it doesn't always match up what I see in Scripture, what I see from the disciples, what I see from Jesus. I don't always see completely match up in my own life. It says what is, what is now hidden will be revealed. Your, your identity in Christ will be one day revealed. So think about that. So the step one in this chapter three is simply this. Know who you are and just think about it. Do we let our minds think about this enough, I wonder? Like, actually, um, day to day, I think about tons and tons of other stuff, and that's not bad. But I wonder how much thinking like this frames my mind. Thinking, my Lord and Master is the, is the Savior of the universe, is the one who's going to redeem everything. And he's bringing me into this plan, into this plan of salvation to redeem and save the whole world. And that means I'm not just about my little life. I'm about the whole universe now. And what Jesus is doing in it is my story, and I've been caught up in it. And man, that would change things so much. And then he moves on to a much more practical set. Not, not more practical, that's wrong. Um, but he says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We'll talk about that in a minute. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Okay, a couple of things here. 
And then, uh, now actually, I should alert you beforehand. I'm about to get you to do group work. I know. Um, so, so just a heads up so that you know to be listening for the next couple of minutes. Is that fair? Um, okay, uh, there's two lists of five things here that Paul says to the church. Get rid of these. Like, nothing to do with these guys. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. That's the first list, and there is how many there? Five, very good. Then, uh, in verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I'll talk to Luke about that later. Um, uh, how many are there? Okay. So what I'd like to do is get into little groups, and just, just tell in your group, just talk about which of those first five you most struggle with. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, that was uh, excellent silence. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> greed, it's greed. <laughs> no, no, genuinely. Uh, what I'd like you to do is, in your groups, um, I'd like you to try and, uh, in threes or fours, try and summarize each of those two lists into one phrase. Okay? Does that make sense? So try, you're trying to find some kind of grouping. What's Paul thinking when he's writing these things? And then I'd like you to think this. Why did Paul write these and not something else? Why did he pick... I, there's 615 laws in the Old Testament if you cut it up with a knife. Um, which you're not supposed to. It doesn't help, but there you go. Um, but why, why these here? Does that make sense? So first, try and find a phrase that groups them. Second, why these I'm going to give you three or four minutes, so you're going to have to be really, really snappy. No dilly-dallying. And then we'll confess later. Don't worry. Okay, excellent. Um, I'd love some thoughts from you guys. So you don't have to uh, make your chairs neat, straight lines again. But uh, uh, just if you've got um, some thoughts, I'd love to hear them. So um, so can anyone try summarizing the first five? Does anyone have a great answer? What's What's the first five? Pete? Selfishness. Okay. Great. That's all, that's all very selfish. Yeah. Anyone else? Anne. Going after things that aren't yours to have. Yeah, okay. That's what, yeah. That is what a lot of those things do. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, none of those things get you anywhere, do they? So it's kind of insane to chase them. Yeah, so something that's internal, it's like a, a driving force, a, um, what do you call that? Like a yeah, I think best expressed in my, in my action at the moment, really. Um, anyone else? It says it's idolatry. Yeah, it's interesting when you read that. I think, I think it's, it's just literally talking about greed specifically, but, but I, I think it's true of them all, isn't it, really? Because um, idolatry is whenever you take something that God gives, something good that God gives, and you make it more important than he is. Um, so, um, which all of these things do. Chris said, actually, they all come from good appetites. Like, it all comes from something that God, God gave us that has kind of taken paramount importance in our lives. And then, and then everything else kind of comes below that. So, actually, God, God didn't create us to not have a sex drive or to not need stuff. He created us as we are, but then those desires kind of get the better of us. What about the, ne- the second list? Uh, anyone summarizing that? Yes. Frustration. 
Yeah. Anyone feel all of those at once when you're driving? Yeah. Anyone else? James? Oh, you were saying you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ellie? Sorry? Okay, yeah, so it's when stuff spills out, isn't it? It becomes this, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Yeah, Devi? Yeah, okay. So it would be possible to do the, the, to do the top list. It would be possible, very unlikely, to do it without anyone else noticing or without harming someone. The bottom list is going gonna, is gonna to bring people down, isn't it? Now, the top list also does bring people down, and it objectifies, and it's awful, and it's terrible. Um, but that's really, really good. Oh, go on. Okay, okay. So, so it's like the, the top lot is the source and the bottom lot is the outflow of it. So if you don't sort out the top ones, you're going to have the bottom ones. That's really interesting, isn't it? I quite like that as a way of looking at it. Um, now... Yeah, yeah. It destroys the body. It destroys our relationship, the, particularly the second list. Yeah. Um, again, I think probably both of them do in other ways. But um, yeah, I think that's really true. You're, you, it brings people down, destroys the unity of the body. Um, I've got a few comments about this, and I'd like us to spend some time praying. I don't know if we're going to get to the third page, um, but we'll see. You know, you've got at least another hour here, so... Um, um, firstly, um, okay, firstly, Paul says put to death to the church. Now that implies a couple of things. The first one is that he's assuming that they are not there yet. You hear that? He's writing to the church knowing if you're believers in Jesus, you're probably struggling with this stuff. He's assuming they aren't there yet. Um, one of my um, kind of, uh, one of my her family friends is a church leader, and he was asked by a new mentor. He was like, um, they, they, the, the mentor asked him, um, which do you, every leader struggles with one thing, money, sex, or power. Which is yours? That's what his mentor asked him. And he was thought about it for a minute. He was like, actually, I, I think I have a pretty half time with all three. <laughs> the guy was like, good, then we can talk. And there's a measure of kind of reality in that, isn't it, actually? Is we're probably not looking at this list thinking, oh, I'm fine with that, I'm fine with that, I'm fine with that, I'm fine with that. Actually, this stuff is probably in uh, most of our lives. I love that little verse in Philippians where Paul writes to the church there, and he says, God began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That word until is really key because it means it's going to take a flipping long time, or it's going to take as long as he's got, that's how long it will take to get us ready to be the bride of Christ. So not to read this and be like, oh man, I am such an appalling Christian and everyone else here is obviously way ahead of me. Paul expects that we're going to struggle with this. Second, um, this stuff is really serious. That said, so having said we all that we're all there, we're all in it together, the phrase Paul uses, put to death, like he couldn't have put it much more strongly, could he? He's absolutely dead serious about us tackling this stuff in community together. Is the church is not a place where these, um, where sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, where they go unchecked. We need to aggressively um, kind of go after this stuff 
and pursue righteousness and, and living his way. Um, it's really serious. And that's why he says in verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's a pretty, pretty serious phrase, isn't it? That phrase, is coming, is literally a present tense. It's, it's saying God's wrath is, like in Romans 1, it's that God's wrath is being revealed against this stuff um, in the world. God has an indignation when we look at someone else as an object of our own satisfaction. God has, God has indignation when we look at something someone else has and we want it more than we want them to be well. God has indignation when we use our words to cut down people that he loves. And God is not okay with this stuff happening. And, and so actually too much of the time, this stuff isn't addressed in churches. Too much of the time, we just kind of let things go because we think, oh, you know, we're sinners saved by grace. Well, you, you were a sinner saved by grace. Now you're a saint and, and God actually has his Holy Spirit in you and he wants us to live in such a way that people look at the church and see something that is compelling and beautiful and righteous. See an alternative to what they see everywhere else. And too often that isn't the case. That's the point. Um, next point. Uh, the Bible's morality and culture's morality aren't the same. <laughs> is, that, is that Okay. I mean, there might be a culture somewhere in the universe that just so happens to have the same ethic as Jesus, but I don't know how likely it is. And in general, no. So when, when the, the default motto of our culture now is, is, is if it's consensual, then it's fine. And the default language of the Bible is, is covenant and faithfulness and, and love and honor and building each other up. And actually, it's not what can I get, but how can I give, how can I share? And we need to not assume um, that that we, we kind of that the church's ethic needs to kind of I want to say this really carefully. Do you get what I'm trying to say? That we actually do are supposed to shine like a light in culture. Now, there's two ways of doing that. One is to look at what culture's doing and then say whatever that is, that's wrong. <laughs> Which is really dumb. <laughs> it doesn't help us make friends, and it's not biblical. But what we need to do is just start with Jesus. What was Jesus's sexual ethic? How did he look at women? How did he respond to people? Did he use his words to build up or to destroy? That is where I'm going to get my ethic from. Jesus and his life and his resurrection. Does that make sense? That means that if if you're struggling with stuff on either of these lists, you should have someone that you talk to about it. Like that might sound like really commonsensical, but actually it's easy just to drift along, isn't it? And think, man, I hope I learn to deal with that issue sometime. But it's really lonely to have some of this stuff kind of festering in, in your heart and not to be able to talk to someone about it. Can I recommend if you don't have someone that you're accountable to for, for things like this or for anything, just life and finance and money and sex and relationships and everything, you should get someone who asks you hard questions about how your heart is doing because we want to be serious um, about this stuff. Um, one other point is this is not anti-matter. Like um, Nigel talked about last week, about some people who wanted to be so spiritual that they kind of left people, left culture, left everything, and went and lived on a pole um, for like, th- how long was it? 30? 37 years sitting on a pole in the hope of kind of removing themselves from contamination by by the world. And actually, that's not how God calls us to live. There was a guy called Augustine who, in a lot of ways, he was a really great thinker. And in a lot of ways, he was um, misunderstood. Um, No, not misunderstood. He was wrong. Um, (laughs) 
Um, it's important to come to someone like Augustine with that balance of understanding. Um, so, for example, um, one of the things that he really got is that, man, being a Christian means purity in my life, means handing over every area of my life to the lordship of Jesus and holding nothing back. But then his outworking of that would be, was, was this. Um, because sex had been a problem for him in the past, he thought the way I need to live in full abandonment to Jesus is to live in an area where there are never any women. So he, just, he didn't allow women anywhere near him for like most of the rest of his life. And he thought that was how I'm going to conquer lust in my life. Now, that's not what we're called to. We're called to uh, um, a, a kind of richer understanding than that, that actually sex isn't bad, um, needing stuff isn't bad, um, feeling anger isn't always bad, um, using colourful language. We'll talk about later. Um, okay, next thing. Oh gosh, the time is going. Um, next thing is this. Um, a lot of people look at Christianity, and look at Jesus, and think, man, it just, it just sounds more boring to live as a Christian. Like it sounds, it sounds like I have to say no to a lot of the things that I want to say yes to. And it sounds restrictive, and it sounds like my freedom is being taken away, but I can have freedom if I'm not a Christian because I get to decide what to do. And guys, a key lesson from this chapter is, even if you're looking at this now and you're feeling like that, oh man, I don't really want to let go of that thing. I don't really want to um, say goodbye to it forever. This stuff lies. Like, it, it makes us think, it wants us to think, hey, if you do this, then you'll be happy. If you give yourself to this, that'll, that'll make you fulfilled. If you give in to that temptation, it'll feel so good. If you put them down, it'll make you feel bigger. If you, whatever, 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 whatever. Do you know that's a lie? That full life isn't found in any of this. Jesus isn't trying to be a killjoy. He's trying to release us into our whole life. He said, I, I haven't come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and full life. That living with Jesus and following his ways isn't a less good, less fun way of doing life. It's better. When have you ever been really happy doing any of this stuff? When has it ever given anything back? All it does is take. It takes your dignity. It takes other people's dignity. It takes your time. It takes your money. And it robs your destiny. And actually, we're called to live <laughs> in freedom. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Notice what tense are we in here? You have taken off. Oh, any language gurus? It's the, it's, yeah, it's some kind of a past tense. Um, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Which tense? Have put on the new self. Is it different? Hey, you have taken off your old self. You have put on the new self. It looks the same to me. Is it the same? Excellent. <laughs> it's not the past? Oh, you guys. <laughs> I'm just reading the NIV. I don't, um, which is being renewed. Which one's that? In knowledge in the image of its creator. Isn't that cool? You have taken off. It's not saying take off your past. It's saying when you came to Jesus, it got taken off. It's done. It's removed. It's like Melissa coming to me and buying me a brand new pair of sandals and saying, Sam, you don't ever have to wear this again. You don't ever have to become stinky again. And then once I've had a shower, what I sometimes do, like, like putting, putting, putting those sins back on, 
would be like me coming in, having really stinky feet, getting a full-on foot wash, pedicure, spa treatment, uh, you know, those lovely scrubs that you sometimes use, having beautiful smelling feet, and then going straight back to the cupboard and putting this back on again. It doesn't do anyone any favors, and it's not how we're called to live. What we're called to do is to say goodbye to this stuff forever because it is gone, it is done, and we are being renewed. Isn't that good that that's a present tense? That there's a newness. Sorry? I was wondering about, do you know what? I was wondering about having a bin at the front and making a public declaration of binning them. But I think I might just put them back in the cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) Along with my greed and my... um, (laughs) We need to pray. (laughs) Yeah, I do and Melissa does. Um, Need deliverance. I think, isn't that right? Um, Oh dear. Uh, Now... uh, why, why don't we spend some time praying together? There's, there's, oh man, do you know what, this, this last sentence here, there is no Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, scything, slave or free, Christ is all and in all. That's not a small sentence, and I was planning to do a whole section on that, but the Lord has had mercy on you, um, and um, we, I'll get Dara to talk about it next week. Um, isn't that incredible though? Like there's this unity, there's this oneness here. That Jesus has designed us not to be defined by our differences, but by Christ. Christ is all. It literally, the end phrase is just, everything and in everything is Christ. Everything and in everything is Christ. And that's how we're called to live in our morality as well. Now, what I feel is that um, maybe there's some things uh, that for you are a little bit like this sandal. Maybe there's one of this uh, list on the previous page, one of those things that you're like, actually... I've never really thrown it away. I just keep putting it back in the cupboard. And Jesus convicts you about it, and you're like, okay, I'll try and do better. But you kind of do that and kind of hope it goes away. And I feel like maybe today would be a really good time to be like, you know, Jesus, I want to throw that away forever. I want to be done with that forever. Is that all right? Now, without... Okay, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to ask people to stand if that's not true. I'm just going to ask us all to stand. Because my guess is that probably there aren't loads of us for whom that doesn't apply to anything on there. Um, so if you're able to, would you just stand? And actually, can, Ruth, um, can we do some singing in a bit? Is that all right? Am I going too long? It's nearly quarter past. Nigel's like, I need to land. He's like, bring it in, Sam. So we'll be done max 20 minutes. And then... Um, um, yeah, Ruth is going to play and why don't we just, just, just invite the Holy Spirit just say, Lord, I want to be done with this for good Holy Spirit, come fill me because the alternative isn't just to leave a gap it's to fill it with the Holy Spirit so just whatever's been bogging you down whatever dirty sandals you're keeping in your shoe cupboard is the time to say, okay, gone for good done for good